The train, now arriving at platform 3.149 to the power of four, is delusional. Passengers are advised they board at their own risk. Train stations are broken places, echo chambers crammed with the bewildered and lost. They exist only to be departed from as quickly as possible. Crowds gather beneath the information boards like a starving animal at a trough. They are angry, or impatient, or lonely, or panicked. That emotion bounces off the cold tiles and iron arches, filling every inch of the place. The act of sitting in this atmosphere is akin to lying in bed after an argument. All weighty silence, and the urge to scream. Train stations are ghastly. This place is amazing, said Miles, which goes to show what a hard time he's had of late. I wonder if the coffee shops will serve us. We have more important things to think about than lattes, said Ash. Lattes and pastries? Ash ignored him, crouching down to check on the unconscious bodies of Tom, Alan, and Sophie. Should you be doing that? asked Miles, as Ash pressed his fingers to Alan's neck. Two versions of the same person touching. I've seen movies. Won't the world explode or something? A savage crack heralded another section of roof tumbling to the floor. Don't tempt fate, said Penelope, looking around at the devastation. Perhaps the most accurate part of the illusory St. Pancras was the way the crowds carried on their business despite the chaos. Glass shattered, cracks appeared in the concourse, bricks crumbled in torrents of dust. Nobody batted an eyelid. They could only be the ghosts of Londoners. She's saying something, said Ash, picking up Sophie in his arms. Carruthers leaned in, pressing his ear to the girl's lips. Build not break. Build not break. She just keeps repeating herself, poor thing. We should get somewhere a bit safer, Penelope suggested, while we decide what to do. How about a coffee shop? Miles asked. I'm not sure anywhere is safe at this juncture, said Carruthers, but I agree we should take stock. And eat a cinnamon swirl, Miles added, to help us focus. You're obsessed, Penelope smiled. About lots of things, can't deny it. We need to get away from the glass roof, Ash mumbled, and if it shuts him up, he marched towards a nearby creperie. Miles and Carruthers stared at the bodies of Alan and Tom, one portly, one skeletal. Toss you for it, suggested Miles. Allow me. Penelope grabbed Tom under the arms and scooted him off towards the cafe. You get his legs, said Carruthers with a smile. Fine, Miles agreed. And you get his pies. Stepping through the door of the cafe, Ash glanced up at the roof. Should provide a little more cover, he said. Keep away from the front window, though. No point substituting one hail of glass for another. Yes, boss, Penelope muttered, pushing past him and dragging Tom over to the far corner. We know you have our best interests at heart, after all. Ash didn't rise to the bait. He was far too concerned with Sophie, brushing the hair out of her eyes and whispering reassurance. It seemed bizarre to Penelope. The mental image she held of Ash as a young man was completely scotched by this aging version. Before proven otherwise, she had always seen Chester as gentle but cold.
This man was filled with emotion and so utterly in control of himself that, even in his dotage, he screamed alpha male the minute he walked into a room. She wondered for a moment what it was that had changed him, but then realized they were living it. I've been thinking, said Miles, as he and Carruthers carried Alan inside. About time you started, Ash mumbled. If we're dealing with time travel, then the key to stabilizing this place isn't so much in act as intention. What do you mean? asked Penelope. We need to agree and stick to our plan to get everything back on track. That first step alone should buy us time. Explain, said Ash, attentive to him for once. You need to go back in time and ensure the box travels its preordained path, yes? It seems we have little choice.